For about 15 years now, we have devoted about a month each year, every fall, devoting ourselves to a conversation about compassion and justice, and the way in which that so fundamentally defines a life of a follower of Jesus. And after 15 years of kind of waving that compassion and justice flag, you know, for about a month, every fall, typically in the last number of years through this series that we've called Hope Lives, we've seen God deliver some amazing things. And these days, there are stories across all of our locations of people, you know, befriending the homeless and booking vacations to the Caribbean to visit their migrant worker friends and sharing life with those under economic hardship. And time and time again, people in our community who've been responding to that flag-waving challenge have been testifying that, as we say around here, friendship truly makes the difference. As much as we want to celebrate that, though, as a leadership, we've noticed a, a little bit of a, a shadow side of sorts to this chronic flag-waving of compassion and justice. And this shadow side of sorts has kind of two parts to it. On the one hand, we've noticed that in spite of our best efforts to wave this flag at least for a month, a year, every year, uh, many people in our community still, we feel like, are missing out on this adventure, that some people have uh, kind of decided or chosen to kind of limit their faith and church experience to what we refer to as the gatherings and or the groups that our church offers. And we feel like for people who've kind of defined their faith and their church experience in that limited way, that they're missing out on the adventure of a lifetime. In fact, we see this in the scriptures. We've talked about this before in Jesus' own disciples, that sometime after becoming Jesus' disciples and being able to gather with him and hear him teach and then to debrief those conversations as part of Jesus' own small group, by chapter 8 of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' disciples find themselves in a boat and a storm emerges. They wake Jesus up. He calms the storm. He goes back to sleep. And then in verse 25, it says this. It says, in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. And we've discussed before that this is kind of striking that these original disciples of Jesus, even though they got to gather and hear Jesus himself teach, not some C-level teacher on video, and they got Jesus himself as their own small group leader. In spite of that investment, they were still at a who is this level understanding of him that the gathering and the grouping really wasn't enough to trigger the get it factor of who Jesus was. And we feel like there are some of us in our community by limiting our faith and church experience just to the gatherings and the groups that a community like ours offers are missing out on discovering the true reality of the person of Jesus. At the same time, though, this shadow side of waving the flag of compassion and justice at least a month a year, every year, we feel like also applies to those who have responded. 
To those who have engaged in a growing lifestyle of compassion and justice, most primarily through taking steps to be involved in the anchor cause of your Southridge location. And, you know, in those cases, we know that many people have experienced the aha moment of discovering in a fresh and new and deeper way who Jesus is and who he wants to be in their lives. Much like, as we've studied before, the original followers of Jesus. While they gathered and grouped with Jesus, but still kind of had no clue who he was by the middle of Luke chapter 8, you fast forward one chapter, and by the middle of Luke chapter 9, they understand who he is. In fact, Jesus asks them who the people in society are saying that he is, and then he personalizes it to them in verse 20 of Luke chapter 9, and he says, what about you? He says, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are God's Messiah. Some translations say, you are the Christ, the Messiah sent from God. And at least Peter, if not other disciples at this point, are clear and confident, and more than anything, they're correct in their understanding of who Jesus is. And it's made us wonder before what happened in the lives of these disciples between the middle of Luke chapter 8, where in spite of gathering and grouping, they really still didn't know who he was, to the middle of Luke chapter 9, where they're clear and confident and correct in his identity. And we've noticed that in between the middle of Luke 8 and the middle of Luke 9, in Luke chapter uh, Luke 9, 1 and 2, it says this, When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. See, what happened in Luke chapter 9, 1 and 2 is that Jesus shifted his developmental strategy with his disciples from just gathering and just grouping to engaging them in his way of life. Jesus engaged his disciples in his mission. And through that, we call it experiential learning. Through that learning by doing almost like the difference between a lecture and a seminar in college or university and a co-op work term, through that experiential learning, his disciples understood who he was in a way that the gatherings and groups alone never could. And you might wonder, okay, so what's the problem for people who've engaged in that experiential learning around here? Well, what we've observed is that for people who've taken that step and engaged in that experience and experienced friendship that makes the difference and had the spiritual light bulb go on and the aha moments of really discovering the person of Jesus in fresh ways, some people have actually said, I've grown more in the past year through engaging in compassion and justice than through the previous 10 by just gathering and grouping. In those experiences, what we've observed as a shadow side is that as people have leaned in more and have experienced catalytic growth more through engaging in compassion and justice, they've actually become less dependent on the gatherings and the groups. In some cases, it's as if people have felt like they've matured beyond the gatherings and the groups and become less reliant on them. And as a result, what we've noticed in the last number of years as a leadership is that there's sort of a chasm starting to emerge between the people going forward and responding to our invitation to engage in compassion and justice who are kind of growing past then the gatherings and the groups and people who are limiting their experience of faith in church to the gathering and groups, but missing out on the fun and the adventure and the transformational wonder of the friendship that makes a difference because they're less connected now with the people who are. And there's this chasm that we see kind of growing in our community. 
More than anything, though, what we're realizing as we see this chasm starting to emerge is that together as a church family, we're kind of drifting from the very vision that Jesus would have for our lives personally and together as a church family. That the vision of Jesus isn't just captured in Luke chapter 8 and in Luke chapter 9 and in Luke 9, 1 and 2, but later on we see in Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells a parable about a banquet. It's called the parable of the great banquet. And in this parable, he talks about a, a host of a party who invites a bunch of guests, friends of theirs, and uh, when it comes time for the party, the friends are all too busy to attend. They're, they're preoccupied and they've got other things going on and so they, they don't bother to come. And in Luke chapter 14, in verse 21, it says this. It says, The owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And in this parable, Jesus says the kind of people who end up at this banquet are people who typically... Don't go to banquets, you know, kind of these, these surprising guests, because the point of the parable is the people who end up at the banquet table with Jesus are the people willing to respond to his invitation, not the people who are too busy to respond or too preoccupied with the things of this world to respond. The people who engage in the banquet with Jesus are the people who respond to his invitation, and that's going to include unlikely people with unlikely friendships. And in this banquet table image, we see kind of a vision of Jesus that we feel like as a church community, we've been drifting from in some ways. Because even though we've been mobilizing people and activating people to lives of compassion and justice, we've been prompting that and inspiring that in very personal, individualized ways, where the vision of Jesus is that we would all, as a church family, be a banquet table together in unity and diversity of all kinds of unlikely people experiencing all kinds of unlikely friendships together. And we've realized as a leadership that there's a difference between inspiring missional Christianity, the individual followership of Jesus, especially in the ways of compassion and justice, and fostering missional community cultivating a banquet table for all of us to be at together, enjoying these unlikely friendships together. That's what we've been realizing as a leadership lately, that there's a difference between fostering missional Christianity and cultivating missional community. So we want to pay more attention to this as a leadership, especially when we begin with the very end in mind. Often they say that's a wise thing to do, to begin with the end in mind. And from a spiritual perspective, when we do that, we take a look at what eternity is described like, or more importantly, what it's going to be like when Christ one day returns and establishes his kingdom once and for all. The Bible describes that as a wedding feast. If we begin with the end in mind, there's actually a banquet table that all followers of Jesus get to be a part of together. And so, the way we thought about it as a leadership, if our responsibility as followers of Jesus, and if our responsibility as a church family here on earth is to usher in the realities of the kingdom of God, as Jesus says, on earth as it is in heaven, 
then we ought to be cultivating that same dynamic around here. We ought to be cultivating a banquet table kind of experience where all of us who are aspiring to follow Jesus all have a place at the table together to enjoy the unity and diversity and these unlikely friendships together as a church family. It's this togetherness that we feel like God is desiring for us to cultivate to a greater degree. And you know, when we look at the very first followers of Jesus, that's the very thing we see. You take a look at Acts chapter 2, it says in verse 42 that these early disciples, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. He says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Do you notice the emphasis of the way that this first century version of Christianity is described? Words like they and everyone and all and together because it wasn't just a personal individual faith in Christ that these disciples devoted themselves to. It was a communal, collective experience of being a family and a banquet table. That's why the primary images of the church are of a body where everyone belongs or of a bride whom Jesus loves the very most. And I hope today, incorporating that parable of Luke 14 into the equation, we could also see the image of a banquet table that we are all intended to belong to and enjoy together. Now, as I talk about this, there's probably some of you who are getting stressed and anxious, wondering, okay, in this year's Hope Lives series, what else are you inviting me into? You've been beating the drum and waving the flag of compassion and justice, inviting me in to so much more I don't know in the course and calendar of my life whether I have the capacity for more. There's probably others who've been missing out and realizing what we've been inviting people into, but kind of passing on it and saying, no, that's not for me. Feeling like no matter what else you're going to invite me into, I know that it's still not for me. Well, the good news today is that we're actually in this year's Hope Live series, not inviting anyone into anything more than we've already been inviting people into. We're just gonna try to do it a little bit differently to hopefully get a little bit different results by inviting people into this way of life of compassion and justice together, to invite people not just into missional Christianity, but to invite people into missional community. In that regard, it's a lot like the sport of long distance running that I, I come from, where you might assume that a sport like that is so personal and so individualistic and even so introverted that it's just a, a bunch of people doing their own thing, when in reality, one of the best gifts to long distance runners is the gift of camaraderie in a training group or a, a running club or you know, a collection of other people that can provide encouragement and accountability and share experiences with one another with whom you can experience strength in numbers. That's actually what we're inviting people to experience a greater degree of through this year's Hope Lives experience. And in that regard, we're hoping that we can better model Jesus' vision for our lives and our lives together as a church family like what we see in the very first followers of Jesus. You continue to read on in Acts chapter 2. It says this, that they sold property and possessions 
to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We've noticed in this picture of the first century church in action before that it was most likely their engagement in the way of life of compassion and justice that most affected the watching world around them because that was the one aspect of their way of life of faith that the watching world could actually see. The watching world didn't really gather with them in the temple where they gathered regularly and the watching world probably didn't group with them in their homes when they shared their lives with joy and sincerity of heart as the passage says. The watching world was able to see their engagement in compassion and justice and as one pastor has said, it was their good deeds that opened their goodwill that then opened their hearts to the good news. The good deeds of the church created goodwill in society that opened their hearts to the good news of Jesus. But what we need to appreciate is that it wasn't just the good deeds of an individual smattering of people engaging in a way of life of compassion and justice. They were able to invite others to the table because as followers of Jesus and as a faith family, they had cultivated the dynamic of table among them. They had cultivated community around their shared mission of Christ in compassion and justice into which they could include others. As a leadership, we kind of assumed that that might be one of the things that would happen as a byproduct of the pandemic. And I heard one pastor say that one of the upsides of all the lockdowns and and the whole dynamic of the pandemic was that it was going to free followers of Jesus of our addiction to Sunday mornings, of our primary identity and our primary sense of community and belonging around the gathering. But we realized through the course of the pandemic that it wasn't really doing that. And as we've been reopening and as we've been regathering, it feels like we've just been adopting the old mindsets and the pre-COVID kind of defaults where we understand our primary identity and community as church goers. As a leadership here at Southridge, we're hoping that we can experience a primary identity and a primary sense of community around our shared walk, not just our shared talk, and that we can use moments and series like this not just to cultivate missional Christianity, but ultimately to foster missional community. And so in this year's edition of this month's Hope Live series, that's a very thing that we're going to try to invite people into, not by stimulating more of the way of life of Jesus out there in random ways, but about bringing more of the way of life that people are living in here, into this setting together to share and celebrate and cultivate community together, to actually be together more of who we've been becoming individually. And so we're going to share stories and help profile all of the different ways that people have been experiencing friendship that makes a difference. And at the same time, having some family-style conversations across all of our locations as a whole church family. We're going to spend Hope Lives this year talking about some real-time, relevant compassion and justice issues that apply to our church community today. Things like the phrase harm reduction, what it means, how it applies to us as a church community today, and what Jesus would say about it. 
Things like uh, how to become better relatives with our indigenous neighbors, especially as we stare at the church's calls to action from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And we're gonna talk as a family about specifically the financial implications, personally and together as a church, of living this way of life of compassion and justice. And as you think about where God's leading us in this month, you might think, man, this may not be all that comfortable. I, I gotta warn you, we may be engaging in some conversations that may feel uncomfortable, but as I warn you of that, I wanna remind you that that's kind of the whole point of being a follower of Jesus, is entering into places outside of our comfort zone where God can transform us the most, because the legacy of Jesus, remember, was one that comforted the afflicted, often to the affliction of the comfortable. Remember how we kicked off our uh, ministry season back in the fall with Jesus quoting uh, this Old Testament prophecy to describe himself in Luke chapter 4, where he said there, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We reminded ourselves as we were reopening as a church in September that the way of Jesus he invites us into is a way of relinquishing our privilege for the less privileged and using our power for the powerless. It's a way of life of living beyond yourself. But he's inviting us to live that way, not just as individual followers of Jesus. In, in this Hope Lives series, we want to cultivate that living beyond yourself as a they, as a we, so that we are living beyond ourselves, not just engaging in that way of Jesus personally, individually, but together as a church family, experiencing the vibrancy of community because of it. At the end of the day, that's how we understand Jesus' vision for the church. I've heard some people describe the church as a place you go, as an event you attend, as an hour a week, you know, most specifically on Sunday mornings. But I've heard other people say, no, that's not church. Church isn't when you cultivate community in chairs that face the same direction. Church is when you uh, uh, cultivate community in ways where the chairs face each other. And I fundamentally believe that True church is when people finally get out of the chairs in the first place. That Jesus didn't hang on the cross and die and rise again so that we could spend a life of faith empowered by his spirit sitting in chairs. I believe that God wants to get us out of the chairs and as much as the gatherings and the groups contribute to this way of life, they're not the end game that God ultimately wants us to rise up and unite together to express his love in incarnate ways, specifically through compassion and justice, to, like Jesus, be for the people he was most for. So if you have engaged in that personally and may feel like you might be maturing beyond these gatherings, I want to invite you back, especially for this month of Hope Lives. And for those of you who've been tracking along in the gatherings and maybe even the groups wondering what all the fuss is about, I hope that you'll engage as well and discover what you're missing out on so that together we can foster not just missional Christianity, but missional community, and that we can cultivate in this next month the beauty of the banquet table that Jesus desires all of us to be part of, where we're all welcome and we've all got a seat experiencing these unlikely friendships 
where friendship makes the difference. That's the journey God has us on in this next month. Welcome to Hope Lives 2021. Let's pray, everybody. God, we're so excited by where you have us as a church community as we've been reopening and kind of relaunching of sorts coming out of the pandemic. And I pray in this kind of fresh look at the state of the union of compassion and justice, where you have us in the way of Jesus, that you would not only inspire us personally to more and more of the way of Jesus in our individual lives, but that you would galvanize and unify us together as a church family around the banquet table that you desire us to be. That through this series, we can inspire, be inspired to be the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the family of God, and that we can embrace the we and the they and the together of what it means to be your church. Not in the event that we attend, but in the way of life of love that we live together to incarnate your life and love in the world. God, make us more of that community. Inspire us to be those people. Help us to lean into a need and celebrate one another to a greater degree. And we just look forward to watching you work, realizing your vision among us over the course of this next month. We're so grateful for where you've taken us in previous Hope Live series that we're thrilled for what you want to do in this next month. And we're excited to open our hearts to you for that. We love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.